Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome along to the first in a very, very special series of interviews with Scotland's Lions brought to you by the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. In today's episode, Alan sits down with one half of the two most famous brothers to ever play for Scotland. Scott Hastings talks about his two tours for the Lions and a whole host of other things in between. While I've got you here and we're talking about the Lions, we could not recommend more thoroughly the book this is your everest it documents the 1997 lions tour the famous win down in south africa as told by the players who were on the tour it is an absolute banging read you can get yourself a copy on the polaris publishing website so type that into google we will also put the link in the show notes for the pod and all over our social channels that is this is your everest um, from polaris publishing but now sit down and enjoy this episode alan and scott hastings cheers Absolutely delighted to have um, Scottish and Lions legend Scott Hastings on the line. How are you? How's your day been? Yeah, fantastic. It's uh, it's great to see some great weather across Scotland at the moment, uh, albeit that we could do with some more blue sky rather than the heavy cloud that's come over. But no, it's, it's good to put the shorts on, be outside and... I actually got a run in today, so I was uh, delighted with that. Still exercising, trying to keep healthy. That's the main thing. Absolutely delightful. You're not playing any sort of touch rugby or anything? No, those days are well past me now. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I was going to say, are you involved with the 2021 Lions at all, either from sort of a broadcast perspective? So not from a broadcast. Um, Sky are covering that, but there's some there's some famous Scotsman involved. Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of him, Sir Ian McGeechan. I think he's kind of got the gig ahead of me. But I heard of that guy. <laughs> but, you know, isn't it wonderful that the, the Lions ahead? And, yes, I was meant to be going out to South Africa. I was hosting a a tour, a touring party with a company called Black Oval. And uh, the, uh, one of the guys who's a director there is Gladstone Small, the ex-England cricketer. And uh, I was really looking forward to going to South Africa. We had a fabulous itinerary, some brilliant clients. And uh, unfortunately, under the, the sort of overall umbrella of Lions Rugby Travel, Black uh, Opal were one of the official um, suppliers of tours to the British and Irish Lions. Um, all tours have been suspended, postponed, cancelled. And, you know, as far as we know, that the uh, Lions will play in front of empty stadiums. Now, there is a hope that there will be some supporters there, but we'll wait and see. So I'm afraid I'm going to be watching from afar, but when the Lions come to Edinburgh in a you know few, uh, few weeks' time, um, I'll hopefully be at Murrayfield as well to watch and be entertained. Yeah, it's absolutely devastating, not only just because of the rugby, but ultimately South Africa is just such an amazing country. Were you out in 09? I was actually, and uh, hosted a fantastic tour, um, and it was just an amazing experience. And of course, having been a player in 1989 and 2000, uh, oh, sorry, 1993, I should say, um, to then go back and host these tours, um, it's been fabulous to see the other side, the fan side. And, uh, you know, it's certainly grown from my time. And, you know, every four years when the Lions comes around, uh, the, the buzz not only around selection but in the build-up to the tour is uh, is wonderful. And it kind of uh, it piques your interest back in the game. Uh, everybody gets involved in debating who the Lions squad or the test team's going to be. And you suddenly look back and go, hey, I was once a Lion. And it's really special. It really is special. And uh, I treasure those times when I was part of that famous, famous tour in 89 and 93. And to wear that jersey, it was just fantastic. Well, I guess going back to sort of 1989, you know, you sort of talked a little bit about that that buzz. I guess as you sort of went through the, the 1988 Five Nations and obviously more so the 1989 Five Nations, was the Lions kind of prominent in your mind? It was. You were conscious of the fact that you needed a strong season. And, of course, the Lions in those days were still on a touring schedule of playing every three years. And the three years previous to that, they were due to go to South Africa, but because of apartheid, the tour was called off. And the Lions played two games, I believe, against a World 15. And I wasn't selected for that. That was my debut season for Scotland, 1986. Um, and, and, and therefore, when 89 came on the radar, it was kind of a... It was on the back of the 87 Rugby World Cup for me that had been so disappointing. I'd been injured during the Rugby World Cup and only played a very short period of match time. So I knew 89 was the next kind of, uh, you know, hurdle to try and, you know, get to. And, and you know, to, to be selected was fantastic. Scotland had a strong season, actually, that season. And, and you know, I, I felt pretty confident. Um, but... You know, when that letter came through and my brother Gavin was also selected, uh, it was very, very special because I've also got an older brother who actually still to this day lives in Melbourne. So the fact is that we were able to be with him as well and my mother and father travelled over and it was just, you know, as brothers to be on the same tour 
was just extraordinary. And then to play in the test team, uh, just it, it capped all and everything that was going on. It was all, all encompassing within our lives and an exciting time. No, absolutely. And I guess how far in advance of the tour did you find out back then? So, David, I think, you know, gone are the days of watching live on television or getting a text. I don't think we even had a mobile phone in those days. No, we got a, a letter from the committee of the four home unions that came through by the uh, the post. And, uh, you know, we had to wait for the post to come through. And, and you, you know, the, the phone calls started going, I suppose, when I was in the office because I was working for an advertising agency at that moment in time. And, uh, you know, slowly but surely the uh, the news got out and there was a number of obviously Scots from the Lions headed by, of course, Finn Collier, who was the captain. Um, we had Sari McGeechan, you know, as a coach. So it was an exciting time. And because it was the first major tour to Australia, you know, there was, um, you know, there was, there was questions being uh, asked about whether it was a strong enough itinerary. Um, for the Lions and of course you know it proved to be a very strong itinerary um, not as strong as going to New Zealand or South Africa or even to the to, you know to this day and age where I think every fixture is really special uh, I'm not decrying the fact that it wasn't special but there was still that you know Queensland B in Cairns was kind of a dead cert win <laughs> so yeah. you, could, you could enjoy your, yourself off the pitch as much as on it it's a, I guess you know, you sort of mentioned right at the start, McGeekin, who is obviously now sort of a bit of a Lions legend, but I guess at the time was a relatively young coach. Did did you expect him to sort of be sort of jettisoned to that sort of top role that early? Yeah, because you know it was interesting because I um I actually came through the Anglo Scots network, um, you know, as a, into my senior rugby because I was a student down in Newcastle. And Geach was involved then with the Anglo-Scots. So I first came across Geach then. And, of course, he then took the backs when I was first captain in 1986. So I developed a great rapport with Ian um, coming through 86, 87, 88. And, of course, to go on tour 89, he was a bit of a, a sort of revolutionary coach, a real visionary. Uh, he just pressed the right emotional buttons. And, and I remember some of our training sessions at the time, you know, the, the Welsh and Irish players and English players, they couldn't believe that the variation, uh, the skills that he would, um, you know, impose upon us. And I always remember watching Robert Jones at the end of a, a, a day writing down the sessions because he was going to take that back to his, his club back in uh, back in Wales. And, of course, the Welsh players were learning from McGeechan who, as I said, had this vision in his coaching um, and he was an extraordinary man. And, you know, so so he's gone on to prove, you know, even to this day that his insight into the game is rather special. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It sort of essentially sort of transcends the lines now. And it's, I guess, with him and Finlay Calder, what was their relation like, relationship like at Scotland level? Um well, of course, Finley Finley didn't captain Scotland. Uh, well, he, he he did captain Scotland, and and so was the the outsider um, to to come in with the lines. And and you know, the great the great thing is there was a good rapport. But Finley was a wonderful captain because he embraced everybody in that touring squad. And because McGeechan had been on tours himself, he knew how that the Lions could react both on and off the pitch. And he knew that the harmony was really important on the tour. And he also had Roger Rutley alongside him again, who had toured with Ian as well. 
And so that understanding, all the players who were on the tour knew that these guys had real credentials in terms of that Lions background. And we had a fantastic manager, Clive Rowlands, again, a former Welsh player, a former British and Irish Lion himself, who talked passionately every day about the British Lions badge and what it meant not only to him, but to thousands of, you know, the, you know, um, families and people involved and steeped in rugby. The Lions was just this unique, unique occasion. And I think he lit the touch paper for the Lions and for what it now stands for. And you will, you, if you spoke to any British and Irish Lion or anybody's pulled on that famous jersey, they will buy into that ethos that it was one of the most special occasions. And that was never lost on us on that tour. Um, whether you were at a dinner, a function, or out, um, you know, representing the four home unions, that badge was so important. And Clive Rowlands, Roger Rutley, and Ian McGeechan, they set the standard, but Finlay Calder as captain just brought everybody together, and, and it was a harmonious tour. I guess, you know, talk about sort of uh, building that cohesion and driving the ethos. Was was there any opportunity before you actually got on the plane to Australia to meet up or was it actually when you met in the airport, was that the first time the whole no, group we, got together? We had, we, we had a training weekend down at the Oatlands Park Hotel in London, Surrey, Weybridge in Surrey, that the first sort of squad get together. Um, we got measured up for our kit, etc. The players went, you know, went out and we trained and we sort of set the pattern. Yes, we had a few beers. Um, you know, we 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 you know we ate together. Um, we had a strong, you know, we we set the ethos of the tour in many respects. But what happened after that was that the Scotland players realised that 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 we had an opportunity to because our season had finished. Basically, our club season had finished. The Welsh. Irish and, and uh, English players were still sort of still playing knockout competitions in their leagues and cup competition. So the, the, the Scottish players decided to embark upon some extra training. And we went into a sort of almost a four week cycle supported by uh, Doogie Morgan himself, a former Lion himself, sadly, who passed away a yeah, couple yeah. of years ago. And, and the boys in the borders, they met up at John Jeffrey's farm and they heard that the Edinburgh boys were. You know, putting in more sessions, and the the Scottish, uh, the Anglo-Scottish guys who were being selected on the tour, like Sir Derek White and Damien Cronin, they were they were doing extra sessions, and that kind of spun off. So that when we met back again to get our kit and photograph, um, there was a real rivalry and competition, not only amongst the Scots but across the whole of the squad that we had to get fitter. So you know, we were we were away on tour for eight weeks down in Australia. And uh, that was that was a time when you became a professional a professional rugby player in those amateur days, and it was um, it was just uh, as I said a joyous occasion to get involved in because you learnt so much about um, your roommates, your fellow players, the rivalries, and um, it was uh, it was good fun looking back. And we've had a couple of couple of reunions since then, the '89 tour, and uh, it's, it was fabulous. Wonderful. I guess you sort of talked a little bit about rivalries. I know, I think, what Will Carling was injured going into the tour, but I guess how did you sort of weigh up your chances of getting into that kind of, I think, at the, st- at the time, the sort of starting 21? Um, the, um, it was interesting because there was, a, there was, there was a, you know, at least, what, six, seven games before we got into the first test match. And, and, and therefore, you had plenty of chance on the training pitch uh, and, and when you, you, you played your games to force the issue. But my early memory of 
playing for the Lions was we weren't thinking about the test team. We weren't, you know, part of it. And and in the lead up to the first test, I actually tweaked a hamstring. So I sort of withdrew my name from selection. And and then I was under the cosh because the Lions lost that opening test. I had to then play in the midweek team against the Australian Capital Territories and, and came away having had a you know quite a strong comeback game. Obviously, from what I can gather, I was I was part of the dialogue for the first test team, but because I withdrew, uh, Mike Hall and Brendan Mullen played in the centre, and they decided to bring in myself and Jeremy Guskett, who who had played well together during the tour, and and um, you know once we'd won that second test, well, you know it was I hate to say it, it's not, it weren't, we weren't a shoe in, we were always you know, as a full squad of players, we were always pushing each other to, to sort of improve. And we all felt we had a responsibility to win a test series, whether you were in the test team or not. And and I think that was where part of the harmony came from, where we had a fantastic midweek captain called uh, Donald Lennon. And, uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, he, he led that midweek team, but a few of the players realised they weren't going to get into the, the test team. But you know they were going to contribute as much as they can to the to the tour, and and, and so it proved. So yeah, my, my thoughts really weren't on the tests uh, early days. But again, when you look back, and people people in the media and the and the surround, they, they kind of go, "Did you play a test match?" Well, it doesn't matter. I was an eighty nine line. I was a ninety three line. Whether I played in a test match or not didn't really. Uh, you know, you look back, and yes, it was with pride I played in a test match. But at the end of the day, I was part of a whole tour. And, and that's lost sometimes uh, in these days. Yeah, no, com- completely agree. And I, I was actually looking back at um, some of the highlights of sort of the second and third test. And I saw sort of early on in that second test, there was a bit of a mass brawl sort of kicked off. Did you sort of stand back or did you sort of JPR Williams in just kind of the, had, had, had the sort of... Listen, I was having a wee chat with Jeremy Guskett at the time because we were backs, right? We're not going to get involved in that rough and tumble stuff and we let the forwards just absolutely let rip. And the reason it's called the Battle of Ballymore was it was a pretty feisty match. It really was. So... You know, I was one of these guys that you hit hard on a tackle. You know, you, you you made sure you were, you know, physical within all the exchanges around the rock and mall area and the tackle area. And um, it was an incredible game. I think, rather embarrassingly, I think when you look back, it was uh, a hodgepodge of rugby and styles. But um, at the end of the day, that was uh, that was what it was, and and what a what a victory it was, and. You know, a brilliant. I remember being involved in the lead up to uh, the try that took the Lions into lead, scored by my brother Gavin, and then for Jeremy Guskett to uh, dink uh, a grubber kick through and score to seal the victory was a, and and to to, to honestly save the tour and and square the Test series one all was a, a a fantastic occasion and and it kept the tour alive and it had the it had the the whole squad absolutely buzzing. And and when Clive Rollins talked about that badge, you know, being bigger and bigger, that that's what it meant to win an alliance jersey was very special. And I guess then sort of shifting onto the sort of third test going in sort of one all, was it sort of the week lead, leading up to it? Was it did you have a midweek game in between the second and third test? I I, I haven't got my touring itinerary. I'm having it. I've got it actually up, up here. I believe yes. we did. 
and I guess in terms of sort of Gus Scott, obviously that combination sort of carried it through to the, the third test. How did you find playing playing with him? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. He, he, he was great. He was a Rolls Royce of a centre and undoubtedly had class. Um, you know, he'd, he'd just been capped by England playing against Romania and scored on debut as well. So he, he was really coming into his four then. And, and yeah, you know, it was it was a great relationship I felt we had, but also we had Yian Evans, for example, and we had um, Rory Underwood on one wing. And, and there was a real sort of, you know, these guys were fantastic rugby players. Rob Andrew came in for Craig Chalmers. You had Robert Jones at scrum half. And then Wade Dooley was fantastic. Mike T, Finlay called it. It was just a great, great side. You know, Bri- feisty Brian Moore um, was just a revelation. But by goodness, that, that final test match was on an absolute knife edge. And, um, you know, the, the, the final few minutes were just fraught. And Australia, you know, they, they, they threw everything at us. And, and what people forget is that, Whilst the Lions won that test series, uh, Australia showed, A, that they could host a a major tour, but B, they came back two years later with the Campeses, the Liners, and and they won, and the Nick Farr Jones, for example, and they won the Rugby World Cup in 1991. So it was no fluke that they were on the upward curve and they were a magnificent team and, you know, they played some, you know, stunning rugby against the Lions. They absolutely whipped the Lions in the first test. So, for the Lions, first time ever, to come back and win a series from behind was pretty unique, and that's what makes it special, and that's what goes down in the history books. I love that photo of, I think it's after the third test, where I think it's yourself, Gus Scott, Finley Calder, McGeekin, and David Soul, and you're all black and white having beers. Gus Scott's got a, a cigarette in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody posted that the other day, didn't they, on the... On the uh... The, uh, on, on social media, and I just couldn't, you know, it just goes to show, you know, the, the, the changing times uh, of an international dressing room, the fact that somebody's having a fag next year. <laughs> I forgive him. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess sort of shifting across to um, the 93 tour, sort of going into New Zealand, did you, did you feel different at all going into it, going into that tour? Yeah, I was a bit. I was a bit nervous, and you also knew going into New Zealand, into that Lions Den, in many respects, the tour was just going to be totally different. The game had moved on four years. We'd had a Rugby World Cup under our belt in 1991. New Zealand was always going to be an awesome prospect, but the excitement going into that tour was fantastic. And of course, 
my brother Gavin was selected as the captain and there was a bit of rivalry there with him vying for that captaincy alongside uh, Will Carling. Um, but when the announcement yeah. came out that Gavin and I were touring again, we're the only pair of brothers to have ever toured with the British and Irish Lions on two tours. It was it was yet again another proud moment. And, uh, you know, what a, what a rivalry that was because, you know, we as I mentioned, the, the Lions, after the Lions season, Scotland won a Grand Slam. Uh, England had responded with their own Grand Slam in that 1991 uh, season. And uh, we then had a World Cup. Um, by that time, England were a dominating force. So, you know, it was... Um, 93 was just uh, you know an, another step up and and certainly the tour was full of intensity and uh, it you know I, I always remember just I I've been picked for the opening game against Northland and we pulled into the stadium having been in New Zealand for a week I was playing in the opening game and you know there's 20,000 spectators already in the ground an hour before kickoff and you just knew it was on a different plateau uh, altogether for for that tour in New Zealand, I know you sort of talk quite fondly about sort of the cohesion you had in that eight and nine tour. Was it a similar sort of vibe in the ninety three tour? So so it was, and it's a fascinating dynamic. And the rivalries were 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 still there. And as the tour went on, the Lions got beaten for the first time against Otago the week out from the first Test match, and the cracks kind of started to appear around about then. I actually, I was injured in that match. Uh, I, I had a bad uh, injury uh, trying to ch- tackle uh, Josh Cronfeld and I caught his knee caught my face and basically I smashed my cheekbone and broke my jaw in two places and, and my tour was over. Uh, Wade Dooley had some devastating uh, news where his father had passed away, so he had to leave the tour and also Martin Bayfield had got a bad injury while Carling had been carted off. It was a bit of a car crash the week before the Test match. We had to go down and play a, a game against Southland and, you know, the, the Lions then went into that first Test match and, and everything had been going really well. And, and and suddenly, you know, a couple of refereeing decisions went against the uh, the team and uh, Grant Fox kicked a last-minute goal to deny the Lions a, a famous victory. Um, but that time I was kind of, you know, after that test match, I was on my, my way home. And, you know, I, I then watched the series, you know, unravel from home. And by the time the Lions squared the series one all, of course, the midweek team realised they were never going to get a, a chance of representing the Lions in a test match. So the focus then became the test team. And the midweek team kind of went off the rails a little bit. and People were a bit despondent. I think those were the the, the, the sort of jealousies kicked in. And it's a shame that the, the tour will always be remembered uh, for some poor performances. And, and the finger pointed at a number of Scottish players on that tour. Uh, you know, there was some inconsistency perhaps in selection, but, you know, the Lions will always throw up some some anomalies. And it was just a shame from Gavin's perspective that he was part of a tour. But, you know, with, with the last match on tour against the, uh, the, the New Zealand, the Lions were still with, you know, within three points of a famous victory over the, the All Blacks and, and to win a series out there. So it wasn't far away from being a good tour. But because the midweek team then lost, the Saturday team lost, it just became... It was a, it was a tough environment from what I can gather, but because I really wasn't there, I was looking from afar, 
we've not had a get together, and it's a shame. I think it would be great if that 1993 team could get together because I think some of the the frustrations of that tour could be put there. You know, we're all old enough, and you know, I, I've met a number of my fellow tourists at various functions and dinners, and you know, we still get on well with each other. It probably goes back a little bit to your point as well at the beginning, where I imagine you know at the time the, the sort of Australia New Zealand national teams were at a similar level, but that depth of kind of quality at club level in New Zealand is always just been that little bit higher, which just makes those midweek games that bit harder. And I think if you say you start to get injuries, I imagine that just playing that sort of every sort of three days sort of grind you down a little bit as a team. Yeah, you know, very few international teams continue to. To, to tour now uh, and you know when I played you know you were you were literally in three locations across a period of seven or eight days uh, so that meant checking in hotels getting ready on buses on flights and it was just relentless and if you're not winning your midweek matches and then you lose your Saturday matches and then you lose another midweek match and then you lose another Saturday match suddenly with the squad not having won for two weeks that builds pressure and teams have to adapt to pressure. And, and unfortunately on that particular tour, the focus went into the Saturday team, the test team and, and the midweek team felt as though they were, they were kind of left out in the shadows a bit because, um, you know, the, 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 the coaches, I think spent a little bit more time on trying to get the test team ready and prepared. Um, but, you know, we can all, you know, we can't change the past. That's what we tried to do to get a winning test series. And, uh, you know, it didn't happen. But uh, one of the special things, David, I remember is that, you know, very few photographs and videos kind of exist from that tour. So the memories of the 89 and 93 tours are, pretty, are still pretty special. Whereas the fly on the wall documentary, Living with the Lions in 97, you could see what it meant and how special it was. But for me, those memories are mine. They're nobody else's. And that's what makes my lines experience all the better. Yeah. Oh, can't imagine. It's, uh, I guess, you know, obviously both tours captained by Scotsmen. You know, I won't ask you to sort of rate them given obviously family allegiances, but I guess, can you give us a bit of sense of the kind of, what were sort of the differences or potentially similarities between Gavin and Finlay as captains? Um, it's pretty hard, you know, especially when your brother's the captain. You know, you get very difficult to kind of criticise him. And as I said, I think I think going into that first test, there'd been a tremendous harmony within the team. And it was just the fact that when the squad and the team squared that test series to go one-all and win in Wellington, what an achievement that was. It was a fantastic achievement. But then the cracks appeared and and... and it was kind of disappointing, and but because I was I wasn't there, I can't really compare like with like, and and therefore my experience of being on the whole tour in '89 was the fact that that Finley just was a, he was able to just engage with everybody, um, and you know Gavin I think you know had his own you know injury worries going into that second test, 
And you know, I'm I'm not I'm not defending it because I just don't know enough about what happened because I wasn't there. Um, but as you go through the line cycle, that that '97 tour to South Africa, that was the fly in the wall documentary, Living with the Lions, which was a fantastic tour, and then you go to the last two tours, captained by Sam Warburton. You know, they were they were awesome, awesome experiences for those players. And in between times, some some Scottish players. Uh, who were involved in Lions tours didn't enjoy the experience. Now that's sad from my perspective. If players didn't enjoy their Lions experience, I find that very sad. Uh, but undoubtedly, winning helps. Simple as that. Winning helps. And uh, you know, if you're competitive and you've given your all, then you know you you, you take the plaudits. But unfortunately, when you're under pressure and you've lost games. Um, it's hard. It's hard when you're representing such a famous, famous set of uh, fans, a famous set of jerseys, a famous set of players, and a fantastic brand. No, absolutely. And I and I guess you obviously you, you continued to play for Scotland up until 1997. Was the Lions Tour '97 something that you were aiming for? Was it on your radar? It was, but kind of things started slipping that season. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the rugby league boys were coming back and Alan Tate and Scott Gibbs and Jonathan Davis were starting to put pressure on the rugby union. And they brought a freshness and a zest and, a, I suppose, a professionalism into that kind of setup. And I um, I had a, had a mixed season. I was dropped by Scotland. And I knew my chances gone, my chance had gone in 97. Um, I took a bad injury then. It, I was, I was, I'd captained the Scotland Sevens team to uh, qualification in the Rugby World Cup sevens out in Hong Kong, but you know, a couple of weeks before I got injured and cut a long story short, I actually ended up on a Scotland development tour to South Africa, called in as a late replacement. So I actually attended that final Lions test match oh, uh, really? at Ellis Park. Uh, it was a magic occasion. It was um, it was an amazing uh, week of touring with Scotland because it was actually, I think, the toughest tour I have ever had in my life because uh, not only did I play two games coming back from injury, but we had three six o'clock in the morning starts and I only got to bed at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, don't, I'm assuming they're probably not going to be able to get away with any of that behaviour on, on this tour or no, I don't think well, they have done for a while. <laughs> and that's it. And, and it's going to be really interesting how Warren Gatland and his team kind of create this amazing atmosphere when there's no fans. There's no, they're not even allowed out their bubble. It's just, it's a shame for all sport that, you know, we talked earlier on there, David, about the Olympics and the impact that has and the impact on Wimbledon and, you know, the uh, European Championships for football being played, you know, with some fans, but not all fans. It just, the Lions, without its colour, without its fans, without its supporters, you know, 50,000 supporters, you know, cramming Cape Town, Joburg, Pretoria, Durban, all these places, cramming it out, having the time of their lives. Uh, it's such a shame that it, it wasn't going ahead with all its colour and glory. And I guess you obviously play quite a lot with Townsend um, for Scotland. Yeah. I guess, what do you think, you know, a, he's able. He's going to be able to sort of bring to that attack. And I, I guess, B, how do you think he'll work with with Gatland? I think he'll work very well. Undoubtedly, I think the fact that Steve Tandy, the defence Scotland defence coach, and Gregor were there when there was a selection meeting going on, you know, ensured that there was uh, 
another voice for the uh, eight Scots that are on the tour. And what I'd love to see is these guys absolutely grow, um, you know, into their, you know, into their jerseys and, and really excel as Lions players. And they have the opportunity to do so. But, you know, Gregor's, Gregor's been a canny coach. You, you've got to remember that he had a poor Rugby World Cup. He had embarked on his, you know, his uh, coaching career with trying to play one of the most fast, expansive games, high-tempo games. And, you know, Scotland were making ridiculous mistakes in the first few minutes of games and, and falling out of games within the first 20 minutes. Um, and what Townsend's been able to do, he knew he got things wrong in Japan and he turned it round. He knew he had the players. He just had to get the structures right. And um, and I felt that the, the, the loose approach to his game cost Scotland on numerous occasions. But what he's brought is an understanding and a, a tighter game plan, which he's able to you know, ensure that his pack dominate, but also the team are innovative. And, and he's not afraid to bring in players like Sam Johnson, like DTH van der Merwe. He's got Hogg, the attacking talent. He's not afraid to throw Finn Russell out the camp, bring him back in and prepare to work with him. So there's been some major decisions where over the last couple of years, um, he's he's adapted well and it's great to see him. Gregor was as always was a thinker on the pitch and off the pitch, and he's continued to have that sort of innovation. And uh, he, you know, he's 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 like a, a good bottle of whiskey, I suppose. He, he's maturing with age. <laughs> That's such a, a nice way to to sort of end it. Actually, I guess before we go, what's what is your sort of prediction for the for the Lions tour? Yeah, yeah it, it's bizarre, isn't it? Because South Africa have not played a single game since that Rugby World Cup win. And it's, it's almost unthinkable. Even when you say that, David, the Lions, of course, they've never played. <laughs> so I just think it's the most fascinating battle in sport, isn't it? And uh, I would just love to see the Lions win this one. I really would. But, oh, my goodness, South Africa are a mighty team. So uh, come on, the Lions. I think uh, it would be lovely at the end of the day with Alan Wynne-Jones leading that pack it's going to be awesome and all eyes will be fixed on all those test matches and lead-up games. And uh, I hope everybody who listens to this podcast will enjoy that Lions experience because the supporters, the fans, are as much part of the British and Irish Lions as the players. And, um, you know, that both need each other like hand and glove. And it's a, it's a wonderful sporting environment and uh, I, I think one of the best you know rugby stories out there. Well, what an absolute treat that was. What a great guy Scott is and a really, really interesting half hour there. Hope that has wet your appetite. We have got plenty more Scottish Lions legends coming up on the podcast between now and right up and through the tour. So keep in touch with us. That's on our Twitter account, at ThistleRugbyPod. On Instagram, Thistle underscore rugby underscore pod. You can always send us an email. Let us know what you thought of that episode. That's the ThistleRugby at gmail.com. And we're also going to be doing a series of special newsletters. That's over on Substack, the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast over there. So keep in touch with us and we will have all of your Scottish Lions coverage throughout the summer. Thanks a lot. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. 
Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.